everybody and welcome, welcome, welcome to the Health and Sports Show. My name is Tom Butterfield and I'm happy to be your host today because today we complete our abdominal core strength lumbar spine stability trilogy. Now, hopefully parts one and two were interesting and useful for you. But was there anything that particularly opened your mind? Anything that you agreed with? Maybe you disagreed with? And if so, I'd really, really like to hear about it. Because we're trying to build an arena or a community of people who feel that it's safe to put their views and ideas forwards for mature, thoughtful discussion. Nobody's going to get blocked, banned, cancelled, etc. just because you hold a different view to mine or anyone else's. That's what scientific discussion, and more importantly, I feel, life is all about. Being able to put forward your own point of view, allowing somebody else to do the same, and then deciding whether that discussion has moved the needle on where you stand on that particular topic. But anyway, I digress a little bit. Uh, Part three Here we are. If you haven't listened to part one or part two, or maybe you haven't listened to any of the previous episodes, you know, how have you managed to get through life without them? (laughs) But seriously, go back and certainly listen to parts one and two of this series as they lay the foundation for what we're going to talk about today, which is vertical lumbar spine stability. Now, what the hell does that mean? (laughs) Sounds a little bit technical, doesn't it? So in plain English, it's the ability of the spine to remain stable under vertical forces, enabling the upper and lower body a solid surface to push off of and generate power. (laughs) I can feel your eyes glazing as I say that. I'm just messing with you. (laughs) We'll unpack this and explain it in much more simple terms as we go throughout the episode. Ignore that horrendous definition that I've just uh, gone through for you. Let's take a real life example from the sport of rugby. And if rugby is not your sport, see if you can extrapolate it to your own particular chosen sport. So let's assume that the opposition scrum half has sent up a huge box kick. And for those of you who don't know rugby, an opposition player has just kicked the ball really high in the air. (laughs) Okay, nice and simple. And we are going to catch it at the highest point possible for us. Therefore, we're going to need to jump vertically. Now, the ground provides stability. Now, It will depend, the amount of stability will depend on what the surface is, of course. You know, concrete is going to be more stable than sand. The powerful and mobile hip, the strong, stable knee, and the springy, mobile ankle of our takeoff leg are going to all provide the vertical force by thrusting the foot down to the ground. Obviously, the greater the size of the force, the higher the player has the potential to jump which is why we shouldn't skip leg day, (laughs) okay? But notice how we use the word potential in there. The reason that the stronger, more powerful athlete doesn't always jump highest, or one of the reasons the stronger, more powerful athlete doesn't always jump highest or run the fastest is due to efficiency. How efficiently do they use the power that they have? 
So if we have extremely strong legs that can generate forces greater than our lumbar spine can handle, what do you think is going to happen? Yes, we might experience some form of injury over time, or we might simply just have our performance, our physical performance capability capped due to the lack of low back stability. And this is one of the many uh, energy leaks, okay? So in air quotes, energy leaks that can occur during physical performance. Michael Jordan is someone who never tested the strongest or most powerful during gym-based fitness testing. However, nobody could fly through the air like he could. But anyway, back to our rugby player. We're now soaring up through the air and we catch the ball. And on the way down, we notice an opposition player's eyes light up as they prepare to smash us 10 feet backwards as soon as our feet touch the ground. <laughs> now, I think it's probably best that we choose to try and evade that. OK, all agree with that? Brilliant. As soon as our feet touch the floor, we accelerate sideways, which is the same as our jump. It needs our lumbar spine to provide vertical stability to allow the muscles of the legs to push off from as it puts force through the ground. And fortunately, we shoot sideways, do a great job, miss the tackle, keep our head on our shoulders and stay in one piece for now. And as I said before, you can extrapolate this easily to other sports such as football, netball, handball, uh, even athletics events such as high jump and sprint events as well. And on that subject, did you know that elite level 100 meter sprinters rarely breathe more than once during a race? Yeah, it enables them to brace their lumbar spine, uh, keeping it stable throughout the race, which minimizes the amount of energy that would be lost through having a soft lumbar region. Now, I'm not as fast as I used to be, so uh, I'm not sure that I could hold my breath for probably a minute. <laughs> It'd take me now. <laughs> and I'd probably have to call a taxi to get back to the start line as well. <laughs> But I like watching um, other sports such as cycling as well to see the different techniques that they have on display. And it's no coincidence to me that the best time trial riders such as Bradley Wiggins and your Fabio Cancellara, for example, um, their lumbar spine region barely moves when they're in that tucked in time trial position. You could almost balance a glass of champagne on Mark Cavendish's low back when he's sprinting. It's so stable and provides a really solid platform for his powerful legs to generate as much force through those pedals as possible. But I've spoken to a few people on this and, and they've actually wondered whether the cycling position qualifies more as a vertical stability or horizontal stability just because of the, the, the body position. Personally, I think it's more vertical because of the force that's being applied. But I think in truth, for all cyclists, they should just work on both. <laughs> But let me know your thoughts. I'd be really interested to hear what you've got to say on that. So, um, so let's summarize what we've covered so far. If we play a sport or take part in an activity where you stand up, which without checking through my sports encyclopedia is probably the vast majority of them, 
yes, we'll get our darts and our snooker players putting their hands up, but it's not such a big thing for you. But for the majority, there's a need to push off of a floor in order to accelerate, decelerate and change direction in some way. And for all of those athletic movements, we need a good level of lumbar stability. Otherwise, we're going to leak energy and move inefficiently. But most of what we've talked about so far has been about the lower body, hasn't it? So what about an example of when we need lumbar stability to support the upper body? So we could include all striking sports such as boxing, MMA, kickboxing, taekwondo, karate. Uh, we have golf where we swing a club and cricket where we close our eyes and waft at anything outside off stump. <laughs> yes, that is in respect to the England batting performance in the most recent Ashes series. Uh, gutted, absolutely gutted, but never mind. Move on. We'll try again. <laughs> We have throwing events such as the javelin and the shot put. They also need to transfer power all the way from the floor through the low back and into that throwing limb so it can send whatever the projectile is as far as possible. And if the low back doesn't provide stability, then the punch will lack power. You'll be unable to carry that bunker. Your attempted slog for six will get caught on the boundary or you'll miss out on the medal podium. So how do we go about trying to improve the transfer of force through our low back into our upper body? Well, the good news is it doesn't have to involve expensive high-tech gadgets or equipment, and it doesn't really need to take up much space either, which is a bit of a winner, isn't it? That's good. So where do we start? Well, first, do you think we should do these exercises standing, sitting, or laying down? Well, I hope you're all screaming, stand, stand, stand. <laughs> if we're going to be playing a sport or taking part in an activity that requires us to stand, then surely it makes sense for us to train in that position, doesn't it? Excellent. <laughs> I'm glad we're on the same page. So next, let's pick a movement that we're looking to improve. So a favourite of mine is the handoff or stiff arm in rugby. So we've talked about rugby quite a lot today. So hopefully you like rugby. If not, hopefully this hasn't put you off. <laughs> but it requires us to transfer the power from the floor all the way to the hand that's fending off the opponent. So it's a bit like a punch or, or throwing a javelin, if you like. Okay, you're putting that hand out there. So it has to cross the bridge uh, between the lower body and the upper body, which is the lumbar region or low back, if you want to keep it simple. Usually, rugby players are extremely strong and powerful athletes, especially the professionals and the elite international level players. They're huge guys and girls, but they can move around the field like athletes half their size. And the muscle bulk that they have not only gives them the strength and power needed to compete physically, but it also acts like an armour to protect their bones, joints and ligaments from injuries too. Now, 
I've never had the pleasure of working in a professional rugby environment. But if I did, I'd probably question or discourage too much use of the bench press exercise. And why would I do that? Has anyone got any ideas? Yeah, sure. Sometimes you're on the deck during a rugby match, uh, but you're mostly on your feet, aren't you? During the bench press, we only use our upper body. The bench that we're laying on provides all the support. Uh, therefore, our lumbar region can relatively take time off compared to the, to the arms and the chest. And is that what we want? Not really. No, I don't think so either. So let's get back to the handoff. Assuming that our rugby player can bench press, I don't know, let's say 200 kilos, and that's 440 pounds for our American cousins and anyone who doesn't use kilos. It's a two-handed exercise, which means we'll crudely assume, for this example, that each arm can generate a whopping 100 kilos, approximately 220 pounds of force to fend the opponent away from us. But what if our lumbar spine can only withstand 70 kilos of force? What happens then? Well, I'll tell you. <laughs> the arm will stay strong and won't give way but the lumbar region will lose stability because we've gone over its capacity of 70 kilos, meaning that we can't use the full 100 kilos of strength that the arm has. Okay, it's capped at 70 kilos because that's what the lumbar region can deal with. Now, some players and coaches will recognize if a player keeps trying to hand someone off or use the stiff arm and they keep getting bounced off, they'll recognize that there is a weakness and that that weakness lies in the lumbar region. And sometimes, you know, people talk about this as the core region as well. But some players and some coaches will continue to try and strengthen the chest, the arms and the legs and miss the true weak link in the chain. So I'm going to go back to our get fit for purpose idea. And as we touched on earlier, how often in rugby do you lay on your back and push a weight away from you using two hands? Now, I've not played a lot of rugby, but I've never done that. I've never laid on my back and pushed an opponent with two hands uh, off the floor. I've watched more rugby, and I don't remember ever seeing a player lay down and bench press a couple of back row forwards for five reps. <laughs> it hasn't happened. In order to be more sport specific, we're better to be standing and also to work single arm, not both arms at the same time. And not just in one plane of movement either. In other words, not just straight ahead. We should push or pull a variety of different angles and directions because we don't know during a game if the opponent will run straight at us, be coming from an angle, coming from in front, the side or behind. Now, usually a stiff arm or handoff is delivered out to the side in some way rather than straight ahead. So let's prepare our body for that when we're training. Now, my favorite exercises for this would be 
a single arm press or single arm pull if we're doing some pulls as well on a cable machine. So for our handoff, it would be a single arm press. Uh, we could use the cable machine or we could use simple therabands, like elasticated bands, because we're standing up. Number two is we can do this single arm, which means it actually stresses the lumbar spine, not just in a front back direction as the bench press would do, but because we're slightly pushing off center, it actually puts the lumbar region under quite a lot of rotational forces as well, which is great. And thirdly, we can change the line of, of the push in any direction that we choose, which enables us to find and work on any weak spots and also to have a wider range of angles through which we're strong as well. One bit of advice here is to not allow our body to lean forwards much when we're pushing. Because changing our center of gravity like this actually enables us to press a weight that our lumbar spine would otherwise be unable to stabilize. So leaning forwards, actually uh, just our body weight gives us some stability that the uh, lumbar region wouldn't be able to on its own. You'll have to come down to a weight that you can move while standing in a normal upright position. You might have one foot slightly in front of the other just to give yourself a little bit more balance, but not too much, not like down into some extreme lunge position or anything like that. But I think some of you will be shocked at how much weight you need to take off the stack in order to be able to push this without losing your balance. Because when doing this exercise, our lumbar region should feel it just as much, if not more, than the arm that's doing the pressing. And I'll put some examples of these types of exercises in the show notes at some point. We've not filmed them yet. <laughs> but they'll be from our YouTube channel at some point, which I do suggest that you subscribe to because there's some pretty good stuff over there too. But what I can give you is a link uh, in the show notes for a playlist of our vertical lumbar spine stability progression videos. Oh man, <laughs> I've got to get a better name for it than that. <laughs> That's a bit clunky, but um, send me some suggestions on that. So it will just take you through progressions of our vertical stability exercises. Okay, from level one all the way up through level 10 and I think beyond that. But thank you for listening. I really hope that you enjoyed the show as much as I did. This concludes the three-part series which I hope gave you some interesting ideas and some things that you can use going forwards to help reach your goals both faster and easier. All the links that we mentioned in the episodes aren't there yet, I know, but they will be in the show notes of parts one, two and three over the next few weeks. I can promise you that. Please subscribe to our YouTube channel. You can find us on Facebook and our other social media platforms as well. And you can email us at info at elevatehealthuk.com because it's always really, really nice to hear from you. It's been really nice to have some conversations with a few of you who have um, been enjoying the podcast and had some questions to ask as well. So thank you for that. That's been great. And please, if you can take just a few minutes of your time to leave a review or perhaps share the podcast with a friend, uh, that would be great. Our aim is to help as many people around the world as possible. 
And it's great because we've now got listeners in 19 different countries, over four continents. Uh, hello to everyone. And please do get in contact, whether that be uh, through a review, an email or a YouTube comment, any of that. It's great. Like I said, it's always good to hear from you. In fact, I tell you what we'll do is to just come to me like a, an epiphany, let's say. The first 25 of you that leave a review of the podcast and subscribe to the YouTube channel will get access to our exponential potential course that we've written. We've not released it yet, which is designed to help close the gap between where you are now and when, where you want to be in the future. It's a six week online course. And not only will you get all the online course material, which is the videos and the workbooks, but we'll also schedule a, one, uh, a weekly catch up with me and the rest of the course members in order to help provide support, answer questions, etc., so that you can keep making some progress uh, that you're, uh, you're trying to achieve. It's usually priced at £497, but for the first 25 of you to leave a review and subscribe to the YouTube channel, so it's not one or the other, it's both, you will get it for £49.70, <laughs> okay? That's 90% off for five minutes effort. Not bad, eh? Should be worth the effort. And make sure to email us at info at elevatehealthuk.com once you've done both of those tasks. Maybe put under the subject heading uh, exponential potential course and put that in the, in the subject of the email. And once you've sent us that email, we'll start setting you up for the course. We'll pick uh, some uh, times, we'll put some dates and times out there for people to do it, and you can let us know if you're available for them. Does that sound good? Well, get cracking then, <laughs> get moving, because I would imagine if it sounds good to you, it probably sounds good to everyone else as well. So it's only for the first 25, so you'll have to be quick. But thanks again, and I look forward to seeing you all in the next show. Goodbye now.